Good evening, all seasons. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight as we begin our series in the book of 1 Samuel. And let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Let me give you a little bit of uh, information that will kind of walk us through this uh, book of 1 Samuel. Uh, it is coming straight out of the time of Judges. And Judges is an incredibly mixed up time in the history of Israel. They're under, at that moment, a theocracy. Now, up until this time, there's a theocracy, and that just literally means that God is in control. God is reigning and ruling, and He is the, the head. He's the king. He's God. He's, he is the one and only one in control. And so He raises up people throughout the book of Judges to allow uh, Israel to keep moving forward, to bring a judge into Israel to help Israel not falter or not fall into too great a bondage and to bring them out of bondage. We hear the story of Gideon or Samson or other men of that nature, even Deborah and Barak. So all of this happens during a really confusing time. And what we're going to see is, is that we're moving from a theocracy to a monarchy. Now, we understand monarchy. We understand in England, the, the king, the queen, uh, and we see all that goes on with royalty. And so what is taking place is there's going to now, when you say a monarchy, there is going to be a human king and there is going to be secessions. There's going to be children that are born that become the king, like David has Solomon. And, and uh, this becomes the norm of, of their society. And so we're seeing the transition from a people that will not follow just God and allow God to be in control to a people who now want to have their own king, want to have someone they can touch or someone that they can see. This book is not a documentary book. This is not like the Apostle Paul writes and gives doctrine. This is a narrative. So when we say a narrative, it is told in story form. Uh, some of the best stories that we have is in the book of 1 Samuel. And even if you're not a, a Bible person or even like, it's an incredible book to just read for the fun stories and all the things. And we're going to begin tonight with one of those stories. In fact, this person sets the stage for all that's fixing to happen in 1 Samuel. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah literally means grace. And so there's something from her life that we are to take before we get into David and Saul and all the kings. There is something that we're to take from her, and we're going to see that her life impacts not only the New Old Testament, but even her words are used in New Testament times. The word Hannah, like I said, literally means grace. Uh, in the book of Romans, Romans 15, 4 through 6, here's what it says. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 says it this way, These things happened to them for examples that were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So what we're going to see is, is that 
Hannah gives us something in her story that we are to take, that we are to learn from, that we are to grow from, and it's not hard to find it. This is an incredible woman, and I'm going to share three different areas that Hannah brings out. First, she shows us her problem, very vividly shows us the situation that she's in, and then Hannah is going to show us a response that she has, and then finally, she's going to show you the mindset that she has through all that God is doing and the mindset that propels her futuristic in even her prayers and her thoughts. So let's jump in. So her problem, her problem is because literally of her beliefs. Hannah's problem is because of what she actually believes. Now we're going to, we're going to study here very shortly that, that the last scripture in the book of Judges tells us That because of the times and the confusion and and all the chaos that was going on in Judges, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is the way that people lived at that time. This is the way they lived under the rulership of God, is that they tried to see how far they could push it, how much they could get away with, and, and when they got too far, God had to bring them back. So her problem literally begins because she actually has beliefs. She actually believes that there's a God who can do something and a God who can change something. If your life is just random and your life really doesn't have any meaning or, or it doesn't really have any uh, future or it's just, it's just a random act, just whatever might happen will happen. If you don't believe in the providence and God's care and God's concern, then what happens is, is that life becomes in its random world. Then, then what's your question? Then why are you worried? Then why do you stress? If everything's just going to happen the way it happens, then who cares? If, if it doesn't matter, then, then why are you so, so worried about things? Just, just let it go. Just, just let it go. But built within every one of us, the reason we can't let it go, the reason it bothers us, the reason we're, we're not like animals, or is that God, in making us the way He made us, made us for eternity, for the future. He made us with a goal in mind that when we wake up in the morning, we want to achieve something. Whether we do it or not, In fact, one person said it this way, there's three types of people in the world. There's those who wish things would get done. There's those who would like things to get done. And then there's those who get things done. Just because you want something doesn't mean it's just going to happen. It's not just going to randomly happen. You're going to have to work toward it. I always get tickled when people talk about Oh man, that was a lucky shot when you see when these basketball players make a shot from half court and you're like, oh, that's such a lucky shot. Well, it would be if he had never dribbled a basketball. It would be if he had never played for 20 years of his life. It would be if he hadn't practiced that shot hundreds, hundreds, thousands of times in a gym. Yes, the odds are slim. But the odds of him making it are so much greater because it's not luck. It's practice. And it's getting prepared and expecting the moment to come and being ready for the moment. This is what we see in Hannah's life. We see someone who is in the middle of her problem. So let's look at the problem that Hannah shows us that she's in. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1, let's read 
and let's just kind of walk through uh, this and and let's just kind of break it down so that we have an understanding of who Hannah is and what Hannah is going through. So 1 Samuel 1, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of the, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerom, the son of Elu, the son of Toa, the son of Zo, an Ephraimite. So it just gives you a, an understanding. And, and what it's trying to show you is, is that the place that this person grows up in and, and the whole area, he's a nobody. Let's just make it really plain. He is a nobody. It's, it's not trying to tell you he's, he, he's got this great history. He's got this, the town that he, he comes from is a little bitty nothing town. The, his history, his heritage, he's got no great people in the, in his heritage. He is coming from nobody. He is a nobody. So this is his, his lot in life. They want to let you know he's not coming from anywhere great. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Panea. And Panea had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord, the God of hosts, and Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to, to have, make an offering, he would give portions to, uh, Panea and his wife and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up from the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why, why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons now, this gives us a picture of the life of Hannah. This gives us a picture. She lives in a time where people do what they want to do. And for some reason, Elkanah loves her more than anything else in this world. She is, she is the love of his life, but she doesn't have children. In fact, the Bible says that God has closed up her womb. And because she doesn't have children... And she, she's in the situation that she's in, it's creating a problem. He marries Benia, Benina, and, and she all of a sudden is, is producing kids. And she becomes a rival to Hannah. So Hannah's life is like this. She's living in polygamy. She has to share the house with another woman who's having children. She doesn't have any children. She's a nobody. Her husband is not any great person as far as name. So she doesn't have any social status. She's a nobody from nowhere. 
She doesn't have anything in her life to, to move her forward. Her husband tries desperately. It says that when he would take the offering and split it, he would give Penea uh, her, her portion. And, and, and when he would do that, he would turn around and give Hannah a double portion, which is not going to make her feel better because she's got no kids to give it to. She's got nobody to share it with. Great, you gave me more to eat. I don't need more to eat. I need children. And and, and when she looks at this all the time, and he thinks, I'm doing something good. Look, I'm putting more food in front of you. You should be happy. And she's thinking, I got nobody to eat this. And so he tries to say something comforting. He doesn't help the situation any. He looks at her and says, aren't I worth more than 10 kids? Ten sons, that doesn't help the situation. And every time when they go up yearly to sacrifice and they go up yearly, she has to live in this house and this situation and celebrate and praise. But yet life has not changed. In fact, it makes it very clear that this happens year by year. This is not something new that we read about in the Bible. It's not something new that we find that God tests people. We find that Sarah was a woman that was barren and eventually has Isaac. We see that Rachel in the Bible was barren and eventually has children. It even speaks in the book of Judges of Samson's mom who was barren and eventually has Samson. So what's causing her the problem is her beliefs. She actually believes that God could do something about it. She actually believes that God could change it. And because of that, it brings grief and stress. If she didn't have any belief or faith or anything, she wouldn't really have a problem. If you didn't think anything was going to happen or could happen, if you didn't think God could fix something, or if you didn't think God could make it, then you wouldn't worry about anything. You just accept whatever takes place. But one of the great characteristics of Hannah is that her problem comes because she actually believes in her God. She actually believes He can fix it. Which brings us to number two her response. So Hannah has this enormous problem of arrival, her her husband, the family situation, and and it builds and it builds and it builds year after year until she gets to the point, I can't sit here and take this anymore. So go with me in your Bibles to verse 8. And let's read what takes place in this second part. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why why do you not eat? Why why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. 
and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. This is, this is her response. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition which you have asked of Him. Now, Let's look very carefully at the response that this lady takes. Let's look very carefully at how she acts in the middle of this. Year by year, problem has happened. Year by year, the situation has taken place. So she decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to to the temple, and I'm going to pursue God over anything else. I'm not just going to sit here and, and, and complain. I'm not going to let this fester. I'm not going to let this. I've, I've grieved all I can grieve. The only person I can take, because she understands the power of the theocracy. She understands that God is the king, that God reigns, that God rules. She understands that God is in control. So she comes. She is so grieved that literally she doesn't even speak words. It's just from her heart. There are times in our lives where I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to say it. I don't know the words to say. I, I just simply am hurting so bad. And in these moments, if we're careful, if we really are careful, God will get us to the point He intended to get us the whole time, to where we will release everything that we have, that we will release whatever it is that we are prideful of, that we want it for. Up until this time, Hannah wanted a child, but she wanted a child to get, get everything off her back. She wanted a child so that she could, she could get Panina off her back, so that she could go and get, get her husband off her back, so that society would see her differently. But she reaches a point now to where she says, God, I don't even care about any of that. All I want is one male child so that I not can, can cherish him or love him more than you, but that I can give him back to you. In fact, if you will grant this, I will make sure that he doesn't drink, that no razor touches his head, that, that I am going to make sure that he's committed unto you. That you are the one who's granted the gift that I have. And Eli, whom we'll study next week, has no spiritual discernment. 
He sees this woman and he watches her and her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. And he just thinks she's a stammering drunk. And he tells her so. When are you going to quit drinking? And she quickly points out to him, no, my hurt is what's causing this, not not wine. I haven't drunk anything. I haven't done anything. This is just strictly the hurt. And this is my response to the hurt, is to bring it to God. My response in all that I'm going through, my response in everything that I'm facing. Listen to me. She brings this into God's presence. As you fill out your sheets, she brings this into God's presence, under God's providence, trusting His care for her. What are you going to do with your greatest problems? What are you going to do with your greatest hurts and disappointments? What are you going to do with the things that you don't understand and don't have an answer for and can't defend and don't understand why God has put you there? You have two choices. You can either grow bitter, angry, blame God, get upset, or you can run to Him. And you can understand and come to the conclusion that God in His providence, in His presence, and in His care, whatever's best for me, He will make it happen. This is what Hannah does. This is her response to the, this catastrophic moment of her life, to this, to this problem she can't solve. This is her response to the situation. Finally, let's look at her mindset. Now, Eli says in verse 17, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grants your petition which you have asked of Him. What is her mindset? The moment that the man of God, that, that someone has spoken into her life, that the moment someone has said, hey, God's going to do it. God's going on your side. Just, just a crumb, just a, just a, a morsel. The same guy that a few minutes ago was thinking she's drunk now has spoken this, but she, what is going to be her mindset and how is she going to hang on to something good? What is your mindset when you bring a problem and then you read a scripture in the Bible that tells you, here's what I will do. I'm sick, pastor. I'm, I'm going, well, the Bible says lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. What's going to be your mindset when somebody speaks a word? What's going to be your mindset when you're, when you're confused and don't know what to do? And the Bible says, let anybody who is in these situations come and ask for wisdom. And I will give anyone who asks wisdom and will not withhold it, will not hold it back, but will give you everything that you need, will give you a way of escape, will give you the everything that I need to provide to make sure that you have everything to move forward. When God gives you a word from His word, or speaks it into your spirit, what's going to be your response? Well, this is Hannah's 
response. Verse 18. Here's what happens. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and what? Ate. And her face was no longer sad. Let, let, me, let me explain this as, as we're filling in our sheet. Verse 18 simply means this, is that she changed before the child comes. Before the miracle ever arrived, before anything ever took place, before there was anything that was anything moving, anything changing, the first thing that changed was her countenance, her mindset, her attitude. The Bible says that her face no longer looked sad. That she said, look, go ahead and pass me some food. I'm fixing to eat. Things are fixing to turn around. Things are fixing to get better. God is fixing to do something. We call that faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Abraham before Isaac. All of those you read in Hebrews 11, before they received, before they got, there had to be a change of mindset. And the first thing in Hannah that takes place in verse 18 is this change. And for you in this room, you're going to have to decide, I'm going to change before the miracle comes. You can't wait until the miracle arrives and then tell everybody, oh, I believed it all along. You're going to have to change your words now. You're going to have to change your countenance now. You're going to have to change it before the doctor gives you the good report. You're going to have to change before. Because verse 19 says this, as we move forward, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Notice the process. Verse 19 says, She then, after changing, decided it's time to worship. How do I know I've really changed, Brother Lot? How do I know that, that I've really changed? Because worship will become the next step in your life. If, if things are not going good and you're sitting there on the third row and we start praise and worship and the only thing you're still thinking about is, well, if nothing's changed, nothing's happening, and you can't worship, then verse 18 is not taking place in your life. You have not received a word and you have not allowed that word to change your countenance, your mindset. Because it will always show itself in worship. It will always show itself in praise. In fact, Paul in the New Testament makes it very clear that we are to bring the sacrifice of praise. Notice how he says that. The sacrifice. Why? Because to praise something and to praise somebody who has not finished the work, that is your confidence in them. And when you do that, Understand that when I worship, then I receive. The Bible says, He, meaning God, God remembered her. God remembered her. 
I always think a lot of times that when God remembers promises in my life, it's when I'm standing here at the altar praising Him. And God says, oh yeah, that's right. Tim's got some stuff I'm supposed to get to him. Or I'm standing back there and the praise is going on and, and pushing through all the thoughts and all the negativity. And even though nothing seems to be changing, my countenance has changed. My attitude has changed. My confidence has changed. And it shows forth itself in my praise. And right there, standing there and praising God with everyone else. And life is still like Hannah's. You still don't have a kid. You still, nothing's changed. Nothing seems to be The only thing that changed first was me. And you can see it because of my worship. You can see it because of my praise. And when I do that, it unlocks the door of God's remembrance on the things He's spoken in your life. The rest of the chapter is Hannah goes back and God remembers her. So it came in the process of time, verse 20, that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Her praise does not end. Even in naming her child, she says, here's why I have him, because I asked the Lord. I didn't go to anything else. I didn't have nowhere else to go. I went to the Lord. Now, this mindset transfers all the way into chapter 2. Hannah will spend the next three years weaning Samuel. Elkanah will, will, will tell her, Elkanah will tell her, hey, Do you want to go with us? And she says, no, I will go when he's weaned. And when he's weaned, I will take him and I will give him to Eli. And I am preparing him and I'm preparing me for the day when I let him go. She hasn't forgot her promise to the Lord that if God would give her a child, she would give him back to the Lord. And as we close out chapter 1, She takes Eli, or she takes Samuel to the temple. She looks at Eli with this young little three-plus-year-old boy in front of her. And she says, do you remember me? I am the lady who asked for a child, and the Lord has given him to me. And I promised that I would give him to the Lord. So now he belongs to you. Now you would think this would be an incredibly sad moment. Boy, he would have to put his arm around her and comfort her. No. Chapter 2 breaks out in the song that she sings. Go with me to chapter 2. And let's begin at verse 1. And I want to show you the song that Hannah... And I want to just break it down really quickly as we come to the close. Verses 1 and 2 says this, And Hannah prayed and said, 
My heart rejoices in the Lord. Now, ain't that amazing? She didn't have to say, now y'all hold me, y'all hug me, uh, uh, I'm about to fall apart, I'm, I'm losing the only thing I ever... No. She understands that all her blessings still come from the Lord. He is above everything. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Do you see how when she ran to Him, she ran to Him. She, he was her confidence. In fact, these first two verses just share with us from her mindset how thankful she is. If I told you to stand up and share how awesome God is, could you do it? Could, could, you, could you, like Hannah, just say a few things that just made God so big and problems so small, that, that made God so mighty and everything else, that enemies can't even be, be spoken, they, they're nothing compared to God, that, that this is the God of gods and this is the Lord of lords. This is the one who raises me up, the one who takes care of me. Verse 3, burst into the warning for those who do not listen. Listen, take no more, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. He warns those, don't be proud, don't be too haughty, because see, she still lives in this theocracy where God is in control. And God is reigning. And God listens to the prayers of His people. Verse 4 through 8 says this, The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes, to make them inherit of the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He has set the world upon them. See, she still holds to this theocracy that if we would just run to God, if we would just make God the first thing and the most important thing that we ran to, the, the most powerful person that we know, the one who cares for us, the one who watches over us, if we would just run to Him, life would be different. She's not sad. She is overwhelmed by her God. Those who used to be her enemies now are quiet. Those who used to make fun of her now praise her. She says God does that. And verse 9 and 10 are the most powerful verses, and they're, they're odd verses. 
Because from these verses, not only is Hannah praising God, but she's carrying it into the future of how mighty God is. Listen, listen to what it says. He will guide the feet of His saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King. I want you to understand this. She is prophesying. He will give strength to His King. Remember Judges 21 and 25. I said the last verse of the book of Judges says this. In those days they had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. In her time, she is prophesying about a king. She is prophesying about a king that is not even there yet. She is prophesying about a king when Israel doesn't even have one. And she says, but there is a king coming. And there is a mighty king coming. And that king, adversaries won't stand before. And that king, heaven will thunder against them. And that king will reign. That will be God's king. And here's how she closes it. Not only will he give strength to his king, meaning Jesus Christ, and exalt the horn of his anointed. That doesn't sound much in our English language. But you need to understand what she's exactly saying here. When she says he's going to, to lift this, he, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Listen to me. It is the first time where Jesus is referred to as the Messiah. She first applied to him this remarkable epitaph, Messiah. In Hebrew, that's what that means. The Christ is how you interpret the anointed one in the Greek. And then the anointed is how we say it in English. She is the first person to use this. After this, others like David, Nathan, Ethan, Isaiah, Daniel, all of these prophets will use this same term to describe this coming king. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist in the New Testament, quotes Sarah in Luke 1 and, and Luke 1 and 69 when he prophesied calling Jesus the horn of salvation. When we see this lady who comes from nothing is married to nothing, lives in nothing, and yet because of her beliefs, she rises to be the very first person to ever speak of the Messiah, to ever proclaim that God has a King coming. 
Hannah's life, because of this and her way of doing life, won't end here. If I had time and we would go all the way to verse 21 and to chapter 2, we would cover the fact that each year Hannah would come back and would sew a coat for Samuel. She would make a little coat, a little bigger coat than last year. And when she would give it to him, she would bless Eli. And Eli would turn around and bless her. And over the course of time, God would bless her with more sons and daughters. And her life will be full because Hannah gives us the illustration of someone who's willing to have a life who's emptied so that God can fill it with abundance. I hope as we break into 1 Samuel that we understand one of the most powerful characters of this entire book is this one lady who in a time where people just do what they want to do raises up a son and believes in a God who can do abundantly above anything she could ever hope or imagine. Will you pray with me? Father, for every person listening to this, for every person that does this study, I hope that they get a glimpse from the very beginning that this is an incredible book and this book teaches us from the very start of Hannah's life God, what you're looking for, that there is a crown. There's a crown that your son one day will wear. There's a crown that Jesus Christ has. There's a crown that we are to be fighting toward. And Father, in pursuing this crown, let us look at the characters that release you to bless us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.